In this episode, we discuss abuse, child sexual assault, and American slavery. If these topics are difficult for you, skip out on this one. Take care of yourself. Have a good have a good day. Welcome to Read It in Theaters, a podcast where I read it. And I watch it. And then we talk about it. I'm LB. I'm Hava, and today we're talking about Interview with the Vampire. We sure are. For those who are unaware, because this is a classic for, like, our generation. Yeah, I was thinking about that. That, like, to me, it's like everybody knows what the plot is. And then I was like, "Mm, maybe not, though. Yeah, I think there are probably a lot of people who don't. So, um, originally a novel written by Anne Rice. It was the first in her Vampire Chronicles series. And in the mid-90s, it was made into a movie starring Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. And, um... What's that girl's name? Kirsten Dunst. That's it. Yes. And Christian Slater. I always forget he's in it. He is in it. And Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's pretty much the whole cast. Um, <laughs> There's a couple more people. I mean, I'm only kind of kidding. <laughs> no, those are like really the main ones. So, Interview with the Vampire. I, now, I've seen the movie. So, I, I think it follows the plot pretty closely. Yeah, I've also read the book. Yeah. So it starts with literally this vampire, Louis, sitting down with a reporter and he's like, I would like to tell you my life story. Interview is kind of a misnomer, but. <laughs> True. He's like, Christian Slater sets up that um, tape recorder and Louis just um, talks for like six hours. Yep. And his life story is, I was a sad, depressed plantation owner (sighs) who wanted to die because my wife and child both died. And um, the vampire Lestat shows up and is like... Wait, wife and child? Is that not in the book? No, it's his uh, younger brother. Oh, damn. Well, in the movie, it's his wife and child. Basically, he has no family, so he's sad and wants to die. And then Lestat shows up and is like, yo, you want to be a vampire? make you a vampire yeah it turns him into a vampire and then stuff happens and then uh, stuff we'll happens. get into yes so no actually it's his younger brother and um he still has a sister in the book oh interesting and his mother so like he has family interesting yeah. in the movie uh no he had a, he had a wife and child they both died interesting and yeah, then no. he's like his Boo-hoo. brother wanted to be a priest or whatever. I forget. I don't care. He wanted to be a religious man. And Louis was like, no. And um, <laughs> and it actually doesn't explain what happened at all. And I kind of wonder if, like, maybe Lestat murdered him. Because um, they have a fight about it. And his brother steps out of Louis's like, office or whatever and onto a balcony and then suddenly looks horrified and seems to be pushed down the stairs. Oh, Lestat killed him for sure. Right. But maybe he <laughs> fell. Like, it's kind of unclear. Hmm. I, I kind of think Lestat murdered him. I think Lestat murdered him. Um, so, right off the bat... Plantation owner. Like... What the fuck? <laughs> yes, and I would like to address the cinematic racism in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can tell me how it's, if it's handled in the book. (laughs) Because here's the thing, it's not handled in the movie at all. It's not handled in the book. Um, It's just like, I, I, 
I'm the master of a wealthy plantation. And you're like, oh, okay. And that's kind of all he has to say about it. Right. But in the movie, he has some interactions with, well, just one of the people he's enslaved. Okay. She's played by Tandyway Newton, by the way. And like, it's Tandyway Newton. So of course, it's a good performance. But what a terrible role, because (laughs) they really portray it as like, this woman who's enslaved has some kind of like comfortable relationship with Louis. Ooh, yucky. Yeah. Like there's, cause part of the whole deal is like Lestat shows up and then basically just like moves in with Louis and starts killing the people who are enslaved on the plantation. <laughs> Tight. So yeah. So there's like scenes of the enslaved people like freaking out because people are just turning up dead right um and then like louis kills all of his own pigeons and so then it's like that and i don't know how accurate any of the portrayal of like the religious aspect of that is because i don't know anything about the type of religion that was practiced by enslaved people in louisiana in the late 1700s but it does show them doing some sort of religious right you know Mm -hmm. and then this woman named Yvette who works in the house is like, we're all worried about you. You, you must send your friend away. He scares us. Uh And I'm like, Uh um, Mm -hmm. I don't think Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a historical precedent for someone who's been enslaved, being able to speak that comfortably with their enslaver. And, like, she's literally, like, you must send him away. And then she goes on to be, like, you never visit the slave quarter anymore. And why don't you go writing anymore? Aren't you our master still? And I'm, like, what the the fuck? fuck? It's so uncomfortable. It's, like, she talks to him like they're fucking friends. Well, like, what do you mean visit the slave? Yeah, I'm sure the plantation owner was down there all the time. That's what plantation owners are known. I mean, some of them. Sure. Also, like, but even if he was, he was not, probably brutalizing people. Right, like, yeah, he wasn't down there for a social visit. Right. It's just, oh, they just smooth over all the realities of ra- of slavery. Gross, in just the most uncomfortable way. Gross, dude. And I feel like, at the very least, it would have been better if, at some point, Louis had been like, I realize now that slavery is bad. Right. And I participated in a bad thing. But it's the 1990s now, and we know better. I want to put a pin in that. Yes. Because the other thing is, part of Louis's whole character arc is that he becomes a vampire and is like, oh, God has forsaken me, and I'm a murderer now. I'm like, you own people. You own people! You you were already a murderer. God already dipped out on your ass. (laughs) (laughs) You own people. You're You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Like, it's just, it's like he has this moral quandary because now he's a vampire and he survives off of the suffering of others. But it's like, buddy, you already were. Yeah. You were were already doing A Louisiana plantation owner. Yeah. (laughs) You, You already did all the things that you now feel ashamed of because your actions are affecting other white people. Mm hmm. So just the whole thing is so uncomfy and not addressed at all. Yeah. And there's even this moment um, where he like loses control and he kills Yvette. Like right after she's like, why don't you visit us? (laughs) (laughs) So he like loses control and he kills her. And then um, 
he like takes her body out of the big house and the rest of the people who work on the plantation are they're preparing to <clears throat> pretty sure preparing to storm the house and have an uprising and murder him mm-hmm. which he's a fucking vampire and they should <laughs> he's an he actual monster even if he wasn't a vampire he's still an actual monster and they had every right to fucking murder him mm-hmm. but um he like has this dead woman in his arms and he like hands her to this crowd of people and is like you're right i'm the devil which like they they knew <laughs> they knew that already not surprised like that you're not telling them any kind of news and then he's like go save yourselves you're all free men and then he lights his house on fire what? hey that's not how that works Exactly. So, granted, this has nothing to do with the overarching plot of the story. No, but I really just... hung up on it as like you did this so bad. Same. No, I was really. It's a really small part of the book. Yeah, but I. What? It just is like you're go. You're. I. To be honest, although they will not be free because you just. You That's not how that told, works. Right, you just turned them loose. Nobody's going to believe you freed them before you torched your own mansion. For right, and, and that was, like, part of my point, too, is, like, when you actually know or or have some idea of the realities of what American slavery was really like, mm-hmm. this whole thing is just really uncomfortable revisionist bullshit. Oh, right. Because, like, all you did was destabilize those people's lives and put them at risk for more brutality. Yeah. Like you burned the papers that showed who they were. Yeah. Like they you could have signed all those papers and given them out and then been like I'm going to light my house on fire. Right. But you care so little for these human beings lives that you were just like get the fuck out of here and then burned any chance they had of proving their freedom yep it just it has nothing to do with the story but it made me so angry we have to talk about no, it no yeah you're right and you should say it holy shit <laughs> it's bad it's I really bad i will say as bad as that is better than the book no so what happens in the book really similar um except the the enslaved people are not familiar with louis at all well, at least there's um, that. Yeah, but like, f- for starters, weird thing, um, they go back to the plantation after he's turned into a vampire and murder the overseer, and then appoint one of the slaves as the overseer. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Not really how that works, but okay. I mean, um, I think there were times where an enslaved person was the overseer, but, like, that didn't make it better, necessarily. Right. Yeah, no, it's, like, it was just, it was a weird thing to, anyway. Um, and then, kind of the same thing, they gradually grow suspicious, and that those are monsters, right? Like, supernatural monsters. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, they're not human anymore. Clearly murdering people, they don't go out in the sunlight. Um, Lestat is not murdering the enslaved people, but... Oh, Uh, but so they decide to have an uprising, uh, for lack of a better way to phrase that. And um, Louis uh, is speaking with one of the enslaved persons who is named Daniel, 
who is very suspicious of him and like at the last moment like suddenly is like oh no he actually definitely is because like there was just a suspicion before because they actually tried to distance and because they're visibly vampires <laughs> yeah and so finally like catches good side of him in good light and is like oh shit and louis immediately murders him and then um they light their house on fire and then go around murdering as many of the slaves as they can get to oh my god and in the narrative at the time louis is like not that it'll do any good because we won't get all of them and some of them will escape and tell the story of what happened here so why are you doing it at all then okay but like that at least is more realistic than the like glossy veneer they put over slavery in the movie yeah for sure but it's still like Still bad. Like, still doesn't make the characters like, good, but... Yeah, no, murdered hundreds of people for no reason. For... And he's admitting there is no reason for this. Right. Yeah. And Luke is not even feeding on them. Like... Right. And, like, that too. Louis like, I don't want to feed off of humans. I don't want to kill humans. Right. Which, like, you're already responsible for the misery and brutalization and death of... Hundreds mm-hmm. of people that you own as property, mm-hmm. so like you don't have a leg to stand on. But then it's like you participate in an institution that does not see certain human beings as humans. Yeah. So like, but you still won't feed on them. Yeah. So what is what's he's happening just, in your little racist head? No, no, he's a good guy. Uh, he he's kind to his slaves. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. What? It's it's pretty appalling. Yeah. And yeah. it is only about a third of the story. Yeah, probably but, uh, less than that in the book, but yeah. But it's it's just so bad. It's really bad. And so here's the thing, because you said it would have been better if he had at least been like, but slavery is wrong, and I realize that now. But like, Here's the thing that the conclusion I came to, because I was thinking the same thing. Like, you could have, I don't know, mentioned the Civil War once. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they go to Paris like three months before the Civil War breaks out. I hey. kind of think that was so that Anne Rice wouldn't have to write about it. Yep. Um, but the conclusion that I came to is that they are just villains. They are the bad guys. Because, um... They're, like, one of the last things he says in the book is, you didn't understand the story I just told you. Yeah. Um, because the interviewer is like, you should turn me into a vampire. That sounds great. And Louis <laughs> like, D- you didn't listen to anything I said. Yeah. And I feel like that is a good echo for how the story was treated by fans, where it's really mo- romanticized and Louis, he's so soft and so sad and we must protect him. And, like, no, he, um... He owned people and he's a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, just drop that bomb 15 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> he's we'll a bad in a minute. <laughs> well, and one of the things culturally with Interview with the Vampire is that it was an early depiction of sympathetic vampires. Yeah. You know, if you ignore all the stuff we just talked about, sure, right. maybe he's sympathetic. Well, At the, the thing time, is, he was perceived as sympathetic. Well, and the thing is, because it's from his perspective, and this is an important thing to remember whenever you're engaging with media, is that it's from the perspective of whoever is telling the story. 
Exactly. So obviously, if he doesn't view himself as a monster, his narrative isn't going to come across as monstrous. It's going to come across sympathetic. Right. Yeah, and it was a big shift at the time in terms of what stories about vampires were being told. Mm -hmm. Because before Interview with the Vampire was made into a film, vampire movies were like low-budget B movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, not considered high cinema at all. And Interview with the Vampire had the highest budget on record for a vampire movie. Oh, damn. It was one of, if not the first, um, films to be, like, about vampires instead of about people being killed by vampires. Damn. So it was, like, this huge shift narratively to, like, vampires are maybe compelling characters. Mm -hmm. And I do think they are. I think they are compelling characters. Agreed. Um, But so it was this this whole new thing about vampires and people very much got caught up in how new and interesting it was. And I, I in my lifetime have not heard very much critique (laughs) about how incredibly weird and uncomfortable the story actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And I think that, um, you know, it is because they're written as sympathetic. And so if you're not taking a step back and being like, well, wait, who is telling me this story that is so sympathetic to Louis? Yes. Then it's just kind of like, you know, if you're not being critical of it, not that you necessarily need to be critical of every piece of media you engage with, but no, but I think in this case, when they're, you know, it's a historical piece. Yeah. And it, does deal with things like slavery Mm -hmm. and class struggle Mm -hmm. and morality Mm -hmm. (laughs) those are things that you should look at with a critical eye yeah yeah so i i think that a lot of the romanticism comes from people being like oh no but he had a panic attack one time (laughs) yeah and i think there's that bad (laughs) there's a huge focus in the book on his like moral dilemma no I thought so, but no, it's, I don't know why, because I thought so too, because we read it when we were like, I don't know, 15, 16. 16. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there was this idea in my mind that so much of the book is about this. I'm not going to eat humans and it's morally wrong. And, and I, you know, I'm soft at heart and all that. And it's really not. He, um, He spends the first four years, the years that they're living on the plantation, not eating humans. And then, and I, this goes to being a pedophile, so we'll get to that eventually. But um, (laughs) the first human that he eats, uh, or I guess the second person, because the first person was a group of uh, escaped men who were enslaved. Yeah. And Lestat is like, no, we're going to go murder them. So aside from that guy, um, the this, only the second person he ever feeds on is Claudia. Okay, and uh, and he feeds on her. This is and I I read a quote one time that was like the worst mistake any author can make is putting concrete dates in their book. <laughs> don't true let, though. Don't let your readers do the math. So it's exactly four years <laughs> after he's <laughs> turned into a vampire. <laughs> Um, he feeds on Claudia and then never goes back. He just feeds on humans from that point forward. 
Okay. Yeah, it's so, like not not a thing. So I saw a quote from Brad Pitt, who plays Louis in the movie, mm-hmm. that um, he had a really miserable time making the film. And mm-hmm. part of his complaint was he said he read the book and found Louis to be a really interesting character who like reflected on the nature of good and evil and morality and all of that stuff. And like, that's what drew him to the role. And Mm -hmm. then in the movie, they don't cover any of that stuff, but you're saying it's not even really in the book. No, I don't think so. I mean, he talks about it a bit, but for the most part, he's kind of just hanging out, being a vampire. Yeah. In the movie, he is a sad twink. Yeah, I can definitely see how you could, how you could glean that. Um, And it may have been an interesting narrative tack to take for a film adaptation. Yeah. There's a scene. So, so they turn Claudia into a vampire when she's five. And then a bunch of stuff happens and Louis and Claudia go to Europe to find other vampires. And what they end up finding is like, vampire isn't the right word it's like i think like race i guess like like old world european like rotting corpse vampires dope mindless dope and um so they end up having an altercation with one and louis kills it and the way that it's described in the narrative is really traumatic and so i can understand where you would have this understanding of the character that he's soft (laughs) Um, because you know I can't think of any other example ever of a vampire or supernatural creature describing themselves as sobbing yeah it describes how his heart is beating really because the vampires still have heartbeats in this it Mm -hmm. describes how his heart is beating really fast and he's gasping and sobbing because of this altercation that he just had where he almost died and like freaking out about it and, and that is one of those scenes that I was reading and I was like, this comes across really sympathetic. Yeah. Um, but he is a monster still. <laughs> yes. Um, so going back to Claudia. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to talk about the conditions under which Claudia comes into the story. Mm-hmm. Because Lestat is absolutely unhinged. Mm-hmm. And extremely emotionally manipulative. Yes. And at least in the movie, the way it's done is Louis is increasingly weary of dealing with Lestat's drama constantly. I also want to put a pin in that. Lestat's drama? <laughs> Louis being weary of him. Actually, I guess not Ben. I can just I can just say. Yeah, just just jump on in here, buddy. It's immediate in the book. There's, it's pretty immediate in the movie too. There's like five minutes. When Louis is still a human, of being like, oh, he's so gorgeous, he's a vampire, he's so alluring. And then the second that he's turned into a vampire, he's like, wow, fuck this guy, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much like that in the movie, too. Okay. Because, um, you know, Lestat's like, you should be free of your morality. We can kill with impunity. We're above God. And Louis's like, I don't know about that, buddy. Like, give me some time to adjust. See, and, like, that's the thing, too, is that that's just not in the books. His problem with, with Lestat is that he's gauche. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> like, this guy's cringe. I don't know. I don't know if I spend eternity with him. He's, like, a lot. 
I mean, he definitely is like that in the movie, but like that's not Louis's main complaint. Right. No, I love that about Lestat. I think it makes him super interesting as a character. I agree. I think Lestat's a great character. He's so dramatic, and I love that about him. And Louis's like, this is just, I mean, you could just eat them and be done. Right, but Lestat's like... I agree that we have the strength of gods and that we rule this world, but... You don't have to be so annoying about it. <laughs> Which, like, you're one to talk, slave owner. Because <gasps> he's, like, upset that Lestat, like, toys with his victims and shit. Right. And it's like, okay, <laughs> again, you own people. Uh-huh. So, shut up. Anyway. Anyway. Louis is increasingly tired of dealing with that shit. Yeah. Uh, it's real cringe. And he's like, I don't know, man. I think I want to go do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lestat is like, you can't leave me. We're codependent. Yes. Um, Except his words are, I am like a mother. I want a child. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Ah, uh, well, in the film, there's this really awful scene where Lestat has a couple of sex workers come to the hotel where they're staying and he brutalizes them and murders them yes and one in particular (laughs) this is your coffin (laughs) it was made for you i wasn't gonna get into it because it's like pretty bad (laughs) it is but it's also like it's a little bit charming (laughs) it's a a little bit in the way motive still murder (laughs) in the way that like it is sympathetic to the monsters like it's kind of funny (laughs) it's a little bit funny yeah he he gets one of them in a coffin and it's like Oh no, I guess you're dead. Um, yeah, but like Louis's disgusted and so he like bails out. And Lestat is like, ah, you whiny baby. <laughs> and then Louis's like depressed and wandering the streets and he goes into a part of the city where there's plague and um and he finds this young girl sitting with the corpse of her mother, and he just can't help himself. He has to eat her. Has to. Um, and then he, like, Lestat finds him, and Louis, like, runs away in shame and terror. And Lestat goes and gets him later out of the sewers. <laughs> and is like, hey. Hey, rat boy. I got something for you. <laughs> he takes him back to the hotel, and Lestat has taken this young girl, who is Claudia, and just put her on a hotel bed. <laughs> and here's the thing in the movie that is ex- extremely disturbing, the way they talk about people and this goes back to what we talked about a little bit in the dracula episode of how Mm -hmm. there's this intense metaphorical relationship between drinking blood and having sex oh we're putting a pin in that too we're getting into it (laughs) because lestat is like here i got you this and it's a little girl in a bed and louis like i thought she was dead and lestat's like nope um, I saved her for you. Don't you remember how much you wanted her? Ugh. And he even says, like, didn't you love the taste of her or something mm-hmm. like that? And it's just, like, so overtly sexual and gross. Yeah. Like, people talk that way about sexual partners. Right. Um, not children. Right. Yeah, it's very gross. But then basically they turn Claudia into a vampire. Because so that they can keep her, and Lestat's motive is now Louis has something he cares about, so he won't leave me. Yeah, 
yeah, that's more or less how it happens in the book. The timelines is slightly different, but yeah, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I we see Louis feed on exactly three people. He feeds on more in the film, but go on. Um, it's the initial person who was a runaway. Right. Claudia. And a young boy at one point. Great. And I just want to say, um, let's see. I I wrote down notes. Uh, uh, but I don't see that one. So, um, he feeds on this young boy and makes sure to mention that he can feel his hard penis pressed up against him. The boys or his own? The boy. No. Yeah. Gross. Gotta make sure to mention that. Um, Gross. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... We mentioned it in Dracula that that feeding is very similar. There's this... It's, uh, it's sexualized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sexualized. Um, but it's really taken to the extreme in this book where uh, this one I know that I did write down. Physical love culminates and is satisfied in one thing, the kill. Um, yeah. And that's in reference to, I forget what they're talking about exactly, but it's, it's sex has come up as a concept and Louis is like, no vampires don't have sex because um, sex is a pale imitation of feeding. Okay. That's so yucky. Yeah. And then, so to have it be that Louis pretty exclusively feeds on children. Like, I don't know about any other time in the book because we only see him feed on three people. But two of those people are children. That's so gross. Yeah. And like, do they do this in the book where they continually talk about their victims with that like weird sexual bend? Um, yes and no. Whenever feeding comes up, it is mentioned. But like I said, we only see Louis feed a handful of times. Right. And it's all from his perspective. So. Because in the movie, um they feed a lot. Mm-hmm. Louis just doesn't kill people. But like he and Lestat, honestly, for the first half of the film, the majority of their victims are women of color, which is, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. one more little tick on the cinematic racism list. Because um, mostly they like feed off of sex workers. And um, I don't know, I guess the movie was like, let's only portray black sex workers whatever it's problematic there's there's only one type of sex worker everyone knows that (laughs) white women didn't do that in the 1700s okay no of course not um anyway but every time they bite someone mostly women they like start having orgasms the women do yeah um more or less like they clearly are turned on that seems to track since louis can feel the young boy's penis yeah ew um yeah, so that's weird because it's like you're being consumed. Yeah, but there and it's never like explained why it feels good for humans. Mm-hmm. It's weird, but so then that the same would hold true that like if it's children, why wouldn't it have the same effect on them? Right. Which 
also there's a huge inconsistency because the like when louis finds claudia and decides that he just has to eat her um she like screams she's in pain so it's like sometimes they realize what's going on and it hurts Hmm. same with yvette when he kills yvette he like initially like he bites her wrist um and she immediately starts screaming and trying to get away from him and that's why he ends up killing her but it's so it's like so which is it yeah weird. (laughs) does it hurt or does it make people come like (laughs) (laughs) well no one is hurt by it in the book so interesting yeah it's uh extremely yucky yeah i mean they also do this thing in the movie where when they go to paris and they meet the vampire named armand Mm -hmm. he's got this boy yeah that's the boy that louis feeds on in the book right so he feeds on, on him in the movie and it's made clear that like the vampires regularly feed on him yeah like all of them yeah and when he's offered to louis armand says try him which again is like that's some pedophile shit yeah yeah it's gross it's not even a stretch like that is overtly pedophilic yeah it's gross and the so they turn claudia into a vampire in the book she's five in the movie, she appears older, so I don't know what age she's meant to be in the movie. But uh, yeah, it never states, but um, she's, she's definitely, definitely older than five. Definitely older, but they treat her like she's five. Yeah, so um, that's gross. Yeah, extremely gross. Because the thing is, they make it very clear that her brain continues to grow in the book. And I feel like they can um, explore that a little more in depth in the book. I feel like in the movie, uh, I don't know, maybe just because you're looking at a child still. Like, the most adult words can be coming out of her mouth. She's still a child. Right. And since you're not physically looking at a child when you're reading the book, maybe I bought it a little more. I don't know. But um, she, her brain continues to grow and she becomes an adult woman in the body of a child. Yes. Um, gross. Yeah, pretty gross. That's yucky. And uh, I also wrote down this excerpt. There was something dreadfully sensual about her lounging on the settee in a tiny nightgown of lace and stitched pearls. Nope. Yeah, No. Nope, that's a child. That's a five-year-old. Because here's the thing. Even if you cognitively know that there's an adult in that body, it's the body of a child. Right. And that's the thing, too, is that it's like an excuse that pedophiles use oftentimes. Yes. Is that they're mature beyond their years. Right? Yes. So to have it be literally a 60-year-old in the body of a five-year-old is like, well, it's fine because she's an adult. Yeah, and it's, it's it's pretty reprehensible. Really, really gross. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, they really try to stress that Louis and Claudia see their relationship more as father and daughter. Yeah, but their behavior doesn't reflect that. It's just the script. Yeah. So it actually comes across as weirdly. Not just pedophilic, but like incestuous. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it ever comes across as daughter and child, um, like reliably. Like they say that, but it doesn't. Same thing. It doesn't feel like it at any point. Yeah, and there's a point in the movie too where Armand is like, "What is she to you?" And Louis is like, "She's like my daughter. She's my only family." And Armand is like, "She's your lover." Mm-hmm. 
And and Louis is like, no, not at all. But it's like, um, <laughs> I feel like that was just in the script to really push home the point that no, no, he's not a pedophile. Yeah, no, they call each other. They call each other my love and beloved and stuff. And no, like, they call each other lover in the book. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's not subtle. Great. Oh, my God. It's, that's... Um, it's pedophile pedophilia. Ew. It's really gross. And okay, I do want to say all of this critique is not necessarily to say that I don't think these elements shouldn't exist in fiction. Right. It's yucky because the reality of it is yucky and awful. But I I don't I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't write about it. Right. Or even write about it from an unreliable narrator who appears sympathetic like yes agree you know Nabokov did that forever ago like no it's just important to remember that this is an unreliable narrator and he's doing things that in the real world are monstrous yes he is the bad guy and from his perspective these things are normal and he's sympathetic and he's trying to be a good person and whether or not Anne Rice's intention was to present this unreliable narrator to, I don't know, there's almost like a brainwashy effect where you really mm-hmm. start to feel for Louis and then you're mm-hmm. like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. No, he's the bad guy. So Absolutely. I don't know if that was Anne Rice's intention, but like, I do think that's an interesting part of the narrative. Yes. Um. So let's get into vampire culture in this story. Okay. Let's do it. Because I got some questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> so um, as we were talking about Claudia, she is an adult mentally Mm -hmm. um in the movie she's only about 30 years old when she starts to realize that she's no longer a child and at the same time is always going to be a child Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and she like freaks out and hates Lestat for turning her into a vampire and she's like I'm gonna fucking kill that guy Mm -hmm. um and she does and (laughs) Well, let's just say she does. Okay. <laughs> she tricks him into drinking blood from dead bodies, which it's established in the movie that that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then she cuts his throat open, and uh, Louis comes in the room and is like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> but then he just stands there and watches while his dad dies. Um, and then they dump his body in the swamp. Yeah. And go to Paris. Yeah. So, and this is. This matters. I'm getting to my point. <laughs> they go to Paris. In the movie, they, there is no, like, decrepit old world vampires. It's a theater of vampires who yeah. that also happens. on stage. <laughs> yeah, that also happens, but they do okay. the... And we don't need to get into the old world vampires, but, like, I have questions about that, too. But that's fine. <laughs> right, right. Okay, we'll get into it. Anyway, so they meet these other vampires in Paris, and... <laughs> The thing is that, like, some vampires can read people's minds. It's never explained. So one of the vampires, like, reads Louis's mind. And, like, I guess determines that, that Louis and Claudia killed Lestat. And so he, like, he's at some point is like, there's only one rule here. And it's the law that means death for all vampires. Mm-hmm. It's to kill one of your own kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Right? Because if if 
I murder a vampire, and then a vampire murders me for murdering a vampire, guess what that vampire has done now? Right. Right? And it's just not true anyway, because like just a few scenes later, in discussion about Claudia, Armand is like, it's forbidden to make one so young who can't take care of themselves. And yeah. I'm like, oh, so there are two rules. That's not a rule in the book. In the book, everyone's like, a child vampire? Oh, maybe we should try that. That's like, that's interesting. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. That's super I I never thought of doing that before. <laughs> <laughs> child child army? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> no, not really. Not that part, but shit. Yeah. Um yeah, so anyway, vampire culture is weird. <laughs> yeah. And like how do they have a culture? Yeah. Louis has only met Lestat. Mhm. Lestat mentions the vampire who made him very dismissively, like, uh, I'm not going to talk about that guy. Yeah. And then after they kill Lestat, Louis and Claudia are like, damn, I guess we're the only vampires. Okay. They, like, go to Paris in search of vampires. They find nothing. Uh-huh. And then the Parisian vampires, like, reach out to them. Okay. And that's the first time they've heard of other vampires existing. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a relatively small troop of vampires. Like, it's they're, they're an acting troop. Like, it's not a ton of people. But they're like, we have laws and <laughs> rules, and we're going to exact justice upon you for making a child vampire. While at the same time, Louis's like, hey, Armand, are you their leader? And Armand's like, yeah, basically. <laughs> but then he does nothing to stop them from murdering Claudia. Yeah. So, like... What is happening? <laughs> um, he's jealous. He is jealous of Claudia and Louis being in love. Look, he it's... heard that Lestat was dead and that Louis was in the market for a new boyfriend. Yeah, basically. And and he hits on Louis and it's like, you should abandon that child and come hang out with me. And Louis's like, I don't want to do that. And Armand is like, but I want you to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, and, okay, so this I, is as good a time as any to get into. I didn't read the rest of the Vampire Chronicles, but I read some highlights. Okay. Read the, read the synopses, which, bonkers.com. Uh, but, okay, so Lestat doesn't die. Spoilers. Um, oh, right. Yeah, he's not actually dead. He comes <laughs> he, back. He comes back, and he shows up in Paris, and he's like, Louis, I found you. And uh, Armand promises to help him if, oh, because he's all weak from almost dying. He's like scarred up and he was lit on fire at one point. And (laughs) and so Armand is like, yeah, I'll help you out, buddy. But you have to um, admit that Claudia is the one that tried to kill you so that we can murder her. (laughs) Okay. And Lestat is like, yeah, okay. That sounds good. Okay. Just not to, you know, be nitpicky about this. The crime that they want to punish her for is yeah. murder. Yeah. Which didn't happen because Correct. he's not dead. Yes. So by their own logic, she doesn't actually need to be punished. Yeah. That's because true. she didn't actually kill him. Um, yeah, I would argue for me personally, I think attempted murder should pretty much be treated like murder. Look, in the real I don't world, think- yes. Yeah, in the real world, yes. In the real world, I don't think you should get a break because you're bad at it. 
<laughs> right. Like, correct. Yes, that's the correct opinion. But by their own logic, there are only there's only one rule. Yeah. <laughs> and it's don't kill another vampire and she didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So like maybe side eye her, sure, like but she didn't actually kill someone. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, Armand wanted Claudia out of the picture. Right, so that he could be with Louis. Right. Because Louis and Claudia are lovers. By their own admission. Oh. Yeah. So in the book, does Armand go into how, like, vampires need, like, younger vampires to keep them connected to the human world? Otherwise, they shrivel up and get nasty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, he doesn't say that. He, He implies that, like... You'll, you just kind of, like, get tired of being alive. Oh. Because, yeah, you get, like, disconnected from the world, like, culturally. Right. And so you need someone younger in order to keep you connected culturally. Otherwise, you're just like, you know, I've been alive for 400 years, and I'm kind of tired of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'll just walk up into the sunset. I mean, it's never, like, expressly stated what happens to really old vampires, but that's ostensibly why Armand wants Louis, is he's yeah. like, you're young, and even though, like, Louis's, like, at least 100 years old by that point. He's um, not... In the book. Never let anyone do the math. <laughs> um, yeah, he's right around 100, because uh, he's 25 when the book opens. He gets turned into a vampire four years later, they meet Claudia, so that's 29, and then 65 years later, they go to Paris. So All right. that would be, um, I think, 29, 80, 94. Um, yeah, so, like, he's not young by human standards, but I guess he's young by eternity standards. Yeah, I mean, um, Armand is over 400. Yeah, Armand says that he's, to his own knowledge, the oldest vampire in existence. Yeah, which, hang on. <laughs> Because I went and read the plot synopses. I feel like Anne Rice just Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let me finish my Armand point. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) So Armand pitches this to Louis as, you're younger and you're connected to this age, and so you can keep me from detaching and being old. (laughs) Like, you can can bring life back to me or whatever. And Louis's like, that sounds like bullshit. Um, I'm going to hang out with my child bride. Um, Oh, and so it's, like, implied that something goes wrong with vampires, but you don't really know what. Mm-hmm. And in the very end of the movie, Louis comes across Lestat, who's all, like, shriveled and detached and old and, like, doesn't understand what's happening in his surroundings. It's very weird. And it's unclear whether the implication is Lestat never recovered from being Rasputined or... <laughs> <laughs> or Lestat lost Louis and Claudia and thereby lost his connection to the modern world. <laughs> that The second one was my read on it. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> no, my read on it was that um, you just, you get in your own head too much and you just kind of, you can't connect to anyone and the world is changing around you and you can't keep up with it. And I, so I kind of thought that, um, Louis, Louis is kind of singular as a vampire and they establish that in the book too, where he's, he hasn't lost his humanity. He hasn't become detached from humanity the way that vampires do. 
again, would argue that he had lost that as a human, but... (laughs) Um, He still cares about stuff. He cares about art and stuff, so he's a human. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my understanding of it was that Louis is able to keep up with the modern age because of how he never, like, lost his love for humanity, which we... Uh That's... Moving past that. Right. As discussed. As discussed. Uh, he never lost his his passion for living. And so he's able to keep up with the new age and, and not become all decrepit like Lestat, who's only like mm, 40 or so years older than him. Okay. And I find that interesting because in the beginning of the story, at least in the movie, Louis is suicidal. Mm-hmm. He has given up on living yeah and being a vampire enriches the world for him and makes him want to live yeah so if that's what retains his humanity it doesn't track (laughs) because (laughs) because he was prepared to die when he was human yeah no by all accounts it doesn't make sense there's so many plot holes (laughs) there's no internal logic in this story i tried not to get hung up on the plot holes oh my bad i only got (laughs) hung up on plot holes no it it's fine it's fine i understand the urge but i was like yeah this probably isn't important to the story i'll let it go we'll let it slide (laughs) um so yeah my understanding of it was that louis is he never lost his passion for living when he became a vampire and so he's able to adjust and other vampires aren't. So once you get to be like 150, I mean, Lestat's special like that, where it happened really young to him. But um, <laughs> normally we're talking like 400, 500 years old. You're like, you know, I don't understand anything that's happening anymore. They got like cell phones and shit now. <laughs> I I think it's, I think I'm done with this. <laughs> I mean, in Lestat's case, it was like, wow, they have gas lamps. <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how to use this newfangled device, so I think I'm done living. <laughs> what were you going to say about Armand? Okay, so he, as far as he's aware, he's the oldest vampire. Yes. So I went and read the plot synopses for the entire rest of the series. There's 13 books. Um, and I won't go through all of them, but yeah, some of the big ones are that Lestat can read people's minds. But only... Before they're vampires. You can read humans' minds. Um, at some point, death itself shows up. Because Lestat doesn't die, right? And he becomes all decrepit and shit. And then uh, <laughs> decides that he's done being decrepit and shit. And starts a rock band as a vampire. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> and then a bunch more stuff happens. But like he's known Armand for a long time. And he also like met the Queen of Vampires at one point. Yes. So, like, Armand is aware that there's the first vampire ever still exists (laughs) and is buried in the desert somewhere. But he's like, I'm the oldest. (laughs) I'm the oldest. Look, she's (laughs) sleeping, so it doesn't fucking count, okay? Okay, so one time, this is a side note. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no. You finish what you're talking about. Just just that the rest of the series is bonkers. Like, it makes (laughs) me think of um, The Wizard of Oz a little bit. Because a lot of people are aware of the plot of the first book because it was made into a movie. Yes. The rest of it's insane. Uh, <laughs> never read it. The only thing I know about it is that it said trans rights, <laughs> according to the internet. Cool. Um, 
but so the rest of the Vampire Chronicles is like Lestat didn't die. He started a rock band and he met the Queen of Vampires and she also started a rock band. And <laughs> then they kill her and then he switches bodies with some guy. And then <laughs> he, they switch back, but the body that he switched into was dying when he switched into it. But now it's not dying anymore. And now it's his friend that's in that body instead of the guy that tricked him into switching bodies with him. And then death itself shows up and him and Lestat travel through time. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I literally don't know what to say to that. Right? Like, once you started getting into death itself showed up and the stat and death traveled through time, where do you go from there? And there was, like, three more books after that. So here's my fun little anecdote. Because when we were kids, we, like we said, we read this. Yeah. And I actually read almost half of the sequel um, and then was just like, this is so boring. Mm-hmm. So I quit. Before any of that whack crazy stuff happened. <laughs> Um, but I always retained this curiosity about the series, and and one time I was in a Barnes & Noble, and I happened to be in the correct section, and I saw the Vampire Chronicles, and I went, oh, interesting. I've always been fascinated by Armand and wanted to know more about his story, so I found the book that was about Armand, flipped it open to a random page just to see what's up, and the only thing I can remember is that there were people buried in the dirt up to their necks. Hmm. And um, someone, I don't remember if it was Armand or if Armand was simply observing this, someone was going around and very gently feeding and watering them (laughs) while they were hanging out, buried up to their necks in the ground. Okay. And I read about two paragraphs of that mess and went, oh, okay, just put it down. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) <laughs> I never looked back. That sounds about right. Yeah, no, even just reading the plot synopses for this series took about 20 minutes, and every sentence was more insane than the last. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me, I, I, I copy and pasted, like, just, I don't know, a little <laughs> yeah, bit and sent it to you. Let me just read that real quick. <laughs> uh, just as an idea of what we're looking at here. Lestat kills a man named Roger, an evildoer. Oh, yeah, that too. Lestat only kills evildoers, apparently. Since when? Since when? Only to be haunted by the man's ghost. Lestat is then being stalked by something that he can't see and eventually is confronted by the devil himself. Oh, it wasn't death. It was the devil himself. Even better. Known as Memnock. The devil claims he wants Lestat to be his assistant. Memnock claims his function as the ruler of hell is to redeem evil souls so they can go to heaven. He takes Lestat back in time to ancient earth to see the evolution of life. He also takes the vampire to both heaven and hell. Lestat watches all of this in complete shock and confusion. Same. (laughs) Memnock then takes Lestat to the time of the crucifixion where Christ himself tells Lestat to take the veil which Veronica wiped his face with. So Lestat has possession of the veil with the face of Christ on it. Memnock, in pursuit of Lestat, reaches for the veil, but instead pulls out one of Lestat's eyes. And that's just kind of what the whole reading experience was like. Uh, um, (laughs) yeah. You know, I got nothing. Right. I don't even know what, I don't even know what to say to you at that point. It's like, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And again, that was not the end. No. Like, that was just like halfway through the series and then she just kept going. Like yeah. what was she gonna do after that? 
Yeah, I mean, I did hear at some point that she got very religious and it reflected in the Vampire Chronicles and then she stopped being religious and that was also reflected in the later books of the Vampire Chronicles. Interesting. <laughs> so I've heard that somewhere around the middle of the series it gets like extremely Catholic and then she walks it all back in the last few books. Interesting. I don't know how accurate that is. That's just a thing I've heard. Yeah, I didn't like I said I didn't go read them. I was just like, what is Lestat's deal? Like same as you. Like <laughs> yeah. because when Lestat shows up in Paris in interview with a vampire he shows up and he's like louis i need to talk to you and louis like uh i'm in the middle of trying to make sure that claudia doesn't die so no <laughs> and, and actually i think he is like are you mad <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going anywhere with you i'm not speaking to you you're an insane person he's like list out we broke up <laughs> <laughs> i didn't try to murder you for legal reasons but I was not sad to see you die. <laughs> Accessory after the fact, okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, but I but then Lestat becomes all decrepit in New Orleans, and so Louis goes to talk to him and and asks him what he was trying to tell him in Paris that one time a hundred years ago, and Lestat's like just smiles mysteriously. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. What? But, what? Um, you know, I didn't find any answers. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. God. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um, Honestly, that was all my points. I didn't have a whole lot to say about, like, deeper meaning in the story. I just wanted to talk about how weird it all is. Oh my god, it's so weird. Um, Yeah, there's not really a lot to dig into, I don't think. Aside from, like, kind of the classic, like they are agents of death and yeah and um yeah again there's like pretty much always a religious aspect there wasn't so much in this actually the closest they get to there being any religious aspects is that louis kind of laughs off the idea of religious iconography affecting him in any way Uh uh-huh so it's like not really a thing in this book yeah i was originally uh gonna talk about sort of like this idea that anne rice like revolutionized vampire lore but like it didn't really exist before so she kind of didn't yeah i mean there kind of did in the sense that she like invented a lot of it yeah she did like it was definitely one of those like before this there was nothing like it Mm -hmm. which is always interesting Mm -hmm. but especially having watched so many draculas Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't know, I felt very lackluster about the whole thing. Because, like, people who make Dracula movies just make stuff, made stuff up constantly and changed the rules anyway. True, true. So it's not like there was a concrete idea of what a vampire is. No, but that's just it. She kind of, because Interview with a Vampire and the Vampire Chronicles became, despite her best efforts, <laughs> became um, cultural icons. Yeah. It kind of... I mean, She defined vampires in a way they hadn't been defined before. Yeah. Um, and I say despite her best efforts, because the thing about creating especially such a culturally important, or I guess culturally important as far as what vampires are today. Right. Um, creating something like that becomes collaborative, because when it becomes really popular... People are into it and then they digest these ideas and and mold them and come up with their own ideas. And uh, I would say at the very least, the first step of that is fan fiction. 
Now, if yep. anyone knows anything about Anne Rice. <laughs> um, Fan fiction was her arch nemesis. Yes. She sent cease and desist letters. She said that um, it was very upsetting to her to think of her characters being used in fanfiction. She wished that people would come up with their own ideas. It was, um, she was really, did not like the idea of fanfiction at all for her characters. She did walk it back later and was like, listen, I guess however you get to your creative ideas, but I wish people wouldn't do it with my stuff. And it just, it's a really, someone on TikTok said something about how that was the best way to stifle your own fandom. Yeah. She um seems like she wanted to have just like absolute to- totalitarian control over her stories. Yeah. Because um, I did read that she only allowed the film to be made because she had a writing credit on the screenplay. Yeah. So she had influence over how the film was made. But she also hated that they cast Tom Cruise as Lestat. Yes. Um, she also walked that back, too, though. She did. After the movie was made, she walked it back, and she actually wrote to Tom Cruise and told him that he was the perfect Lestat and that she was wrong. Mm-hmm. We do love someone that can admit that they were wrong and change their mind. Right, but an deal. interesting character in the sense that she consistently would come out with these, like, hard takes mm-hmm. and then go, actually, mm, maybe I'm okay with it. I don't know. I can kind of sympathize with that because, you know... If something's the way that I wanted it to be, and then someone's like, oh, but what if it was different? And I'm like, no, that's my thing. (laughs) What if it's not different? (laughs) Okay, fair. But, like, you you aren't a public figure. That's true. (laughs) And the other thing I've heard about Anne Rice is that in the last, with the last few books, um, she wasn't consulting an editor. Oh, interesting. She would write the books and send them to her editor, and her editor would be like, hey, I suggest these changes. And Anne Rice would go, no, send it to the publisher as is. Uh, So, like, she just really did not want feedback. She wanted to do it her way with no complaints. Well, and I also feel like um, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, say I published a book tomorrow and someone was writing fan fiction. Not only do I not feel that way anymore... But I recognize that, like, that it's mine and that no one else can touch it, you know? Yeah. Because that, that was maybe a, a feeling that I had when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Late teens. But these days, it's all good. It's fine. Nothing matters. And <laughs> the points are made up. So. Yeah. And I think it's important for creators to not engage too closely with their own fandoms. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a healthy level of distance yeah because there's I mean there's that too of like I do still kind of feel like very protective over my work Mm -hmm. and I have thought before like what if in a alternate timeline I was a popular author I don't know how I'd feel about fan fiction existing but I'm aware that it exists yeah and it's going to happen and it has nothing to do with what I've created necessarily I would be very very upset about it because There's a gray area legally with authors reading fan fictions about their own work. Right. Um, There's that too. You cannot prove as an author that you didn't get that idea from fan fiction. 
that's yeah. stealing. That's stealing that person's idea. That's yes, based on my work, but it's their idea. Right. So what would be most upsetting to me about fan fiction in an alternate universe where I'm a, a famous author <laughs> <laughs> is would be the fact that I wouldn't be able to read it. Yeah, see, I don't think I'd want to read it. I would want to read it. So. Look, I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned on this podcast before how incredibly vain I am. <laughs> so I'd like fan fiction of my stuff? Me? <laughs> as it should be (laughs) yeah another interesting point in terms of legality um i followed shannon mcguire on tumblr for a number of years beef with her (laughs) okay we're not gonna get into that right now we're not gonna get into that right now um but she started writing for the spider gwen comic book series yeah and People were very excited because they liked her work and they wanted her to write Gwen. Um, and some, I remember someone sent her a message one time basically being like, would you ever consider writing Gwen as non-binary? I'd love to see a non-binary Spider-Man. I've always loved Gwen Stacy. And Shauna McGuire was like, well, now I can't because you said it. And now if I do that, and someone gets upset about it and sues me, it's on record that it wasn't my idea. Mm-hmm. And she was like, please don't send me your head cannons for characters. Don't ask me to do certain things because that means I can't do them yeah. legally. Yeah, I saw um, Neil Gaiman. I, don't... I have no idea if it's Gaiman or Gaiman. Me either. Uh... But you know, Neil. <laughs> yeah, same thing. He did a post because he's also really big on tumblr and i get on there sometimes i'm not i lurk you know um (laughs) but i saw he said something that was like if you send me good omens because that is really popular right now Mm -hmm. um fan fiction i will delete it immediately and if you send it to me a second time i will block you and that is because legally i cannot read it yeah yeah and i i mean i think that's for the best yeah legal but also like death of the author yes like, you put something out there, it's yours. Yes. But once it's out there, people can do what they want. Once it's out there, it's collaborative. As soon yes. as somebody perceives it, it's no longer just yours. Yes. And legally, it's a good idea to not engage with mm-hmm. fan fiction mm-hmm. of your own works. But also, I think, to maintain your role as the author, mm-hmm. you need to not know too much about your own fandom. Yeah, parasocial relationships. Exactly. I do think Anne Rice took it a little too far in the opposite direction, though. Yeah. <laughs> she was, like, waging war on her own fandom. Yeah. Is that all we have to say about Interview with the Vampire? <sighs> I think it is. That is all we have to say. <laughs> Except for I saw a picture one time that was the <laughs> cast. Um, that All the people that we mentioned who are in it. Yeah. Um, and... Kirsten, what is her name? Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Child. Um, <laughs> she looked, you know, like a child. She was fair-faced and, and fresh. And yeah. everyone else looked like they were dead. <laughs> and the caption was just like, this picture really shows who did six months of night shoots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the thing I read. That, that, that was part of the reason why Brad Pitt was so miserable. Mm-hmm. Was because it was six months of night shoots and he didn't like the script. Yeah. So he was just like, 
massively depressed, unable to <laughs> see uh. the sun. He was living Louis's hell, basically, <laughs> while trying to portray Louis. He was uh, method acting, is all. <laughs> Un- he was forced to method. Act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, it was not a good time for Brad Pitt, but I mean, he turned out a great performance, so. Uh. You know what? If we can, can get pedantic about the plot for a second. Oh, sure. Now? <laughs> yeah, now that we're almost done and people can click out if they want to. Um, now that we're almost done after I've been pedantic for an hour. How? In the in the theater, they have like these underground caverns or whatever. Yes. And it's painted with a gigantic depiction of the triumph of death. And oh. how did you guys get that there? <laughs> How did you do that? Uh. Also, Armand and Louis become pariahs because Louis lights the theater on fire and kills all the vampires inside of it. Yeah. And Armand knew about it. Okay, but here's the thing. Everyone died. (laughs) So So who's casting them out? (laughs) No, there's other vampires in the world. But how did those vampires learn about it? Exactly. If there are exactly two people in the world that know what happened, everyone else is dead. How did you guys hear about this rumor? Like, they literally could have just been like, we were out on a date and we came back. It was on fire. Right. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. Christ. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I was like, okay, that doesn't make any fucking sense. When they travel through old world Europe... Um, They have to travel at night because they're vampires. And so they show up to these towns to stay there during the day. But they have to be very careful about being vampires because they're in old world Europe where people know about vampires. So I'm sorry. How are you traveling through old world Europe without being suspicious? You're showing up at dawn, staying (laughs) all day. And then leaving as soon as the sun sets. Yeah, and also you you have coffins. They have to sleep in coffins. Right. So I'm just really not understanding how you're traveling through Europe discreetly. And I I thought, right. You know, it is a thing in in several Draculas, though, where, like, people in those little villages are just like, yep, he's the devil. And we're not going to talk about it in front of him. but that's not what happens. (laughs) That's not what happens. Because they show up in this little village, and the village is like, we kill vampires here. And Louis's like, well, I can touch a cross, so I'm not a vampire. But I am going to sleep all day and leave at night. So. Okay. Like, it just... And nobody in the village vampires. went, hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I don't understand how you think you're being subtle right now. I don't get it. Wow. It doesn't make sense. So, those, like, those why, are my... Why wouldn't you just put your coffin in a deep dark european forest right sleep during the day there i think the coffins have to be away from sunlight too i'm not sure um yeah it doesn't make sense and they rented like this carriage to carry their their coffins and i so i thought that they had the coffins set up in the carriages so that they could sleep in the carriages during the day and not have to interact with the townspeople that know about vampires and would kill them but no they go to inns inns that they just have all over the tiny five-person villages, you know. Yep. You and know. then they bring their coffins into the inn and sleep all day. Uh-huh. But I can touch a cross. I'm not a vampire. Great. Yeah. No, it doesn't. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. 
am. Well, what are we doing next? Oh, God, I don't know. I wanted to do um, The Lost Boys because there's a novelization. And I thought it would be fun to do it the other way around where yeah. it was a, bu- a movie first and then I read the book. But uh, I can't find the novelization anywhere. So, hmm. um, what other vampire books are there? God, I thought of. Um, oh, I Am Legend. That's a vampire book, actually. Oh, let's do that. Okay. And I think there's a couple different movies that I can watch for it. So. I know there's at least two. That's what I thought. So, do you have any recommendations? Ooh, off of Interview with the Vampire? Yeah. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it's pretty singular. I feel like there's not a whole lot that has that vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say maybe The Illusionist. Okay. That's a pretty good one. It's got Edward Norton in it, and it's about a magician and forbidden romance, and it's pretty dark. Okay. But, yeah, I don't really... If you liked Interview with the Vampire, uh, good for you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> it is a fun movie. It it's, is. Kinda, it's well, we just had a whole discussion. <laughs> Despite would, the last hour of conversation, <laughs> I still enjoy it as a film. Absolutely, I actually had a good time reading the book. I thought it, it's a it's an interesting book to read. Um, I'm gonna go with if you liked interview with a vampire first of all listen to december underground by afi oh hell yeah and if you don't know what i'm talking about for the first several tracks you will by love like winter um (laughs) (laughs) and for books now it's been a little while since i read this book so i might be off i'm gonna go with the fates and the fury by lauren groff oh um, for a couple of reasons. One is that their Lauren Groff is incredibly atmospheric, the same way that Interview with a Vampire was. They're just, they have a lot of presence. Um, my second reason I'm not going to say because I think it's a spoiler for the second half of Fates and Fury. So I guess if you've read them both and don't know what I'm talking about, DM me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, and, and what's your Twitter, my buddy? Well, I have a third reason. Oh, <laughs> I have a third reason, and it is um, that, and I mean this in the best possible way, they're both books about nothing. Interesting. They both are just some guys being dudes, and one of them happens to be vampires. Oh, you know what? I just thought of Mm -hmm. Only Lovers Left Alive. That's a good movie about vampires. Okay. And like you said, it's kind of about nothing in the same way that Interview with the Vampire is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, stuff happens, but it's just kind of, there's some guys being dudes. <laughs> it's, like, mostly atmospheric and, re- and reflective. And- yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I am Jima the Deer Boy on t- Twitter and Instagram, Convokes Everywhere Else. I am Hella Lambs everywhere, but only look for me on Instagram and Twitter. I don't want to be perceived. <laughs> um, and... God, I don't have anything to call you listeners this time. Oh. What do you got? Anything? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Try to find an, a Memnock angle. <laughs> right? <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, outcasts and murderers? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, be safe out there, human friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't talk to vampires.